Well, I want to say good morning again and welcome to everybody here. For those who are watching online, so glad to have you with us. I pray that you all had a wonderful time with family. Hopefully you uh, were able to avoid intense political debates, but it happened, so hopefully you got through it uh, uh, gracefully. I also want to recognize that this season is also pretty hard for some people because I know some of you and maybe people who aren't here today celebrated this season, this holiday without a loved one. In fact, we, a very good friend of ours, just lost his brother this past week leading up to Thanksgiving. And so his family is having to grieve. And so that's a very difficult things so, and the holidays can be very hard and some of you are, are in the midst of that right now. So as a church, let's be a community and check up on each other. If you know someone's lost a loved one, this can be a very difficult time. So just check up on them, see how they're doing. Today marks the beginning of Advent, the season of Advent. Uh, if you don't know what Advent is, I mean, it's a word that comes from the Latin, which means coming or arrival. So it's a particular time of year, these next few weeks, where we observe the coming of Christ and also look forward to the second coming. And so as Emily mentioned, I will be starting this off. And so today, I think I want to take more of a 50,000 foot view. We'll see how that works out. But that at least will be my approach for today. Pastor Michael will come for the next three weeks, and I'm sure he'll get a little bit more granular. So, uh, but I'm hoping that I can say something that you can at least get a sense of when he comes, there's some continuity. Excuse me, one moment. Thank you. Today will probably feel a little bit more like a Bible study. I'm going to throw lots of scripture at you and and highlight various themes. Uh, I think at heart I'm more of a teacher, and so you might hear some of that today. But as we approach this season of Advent, I'm reminded of my own uh, upbringing, actually in the churches that I came up in. I never heard of Advent, at least not the word. I didn't hear about Advent until I came to um, the campus of North Park University as a freshman. Never heard of Advent, never heard of the covenant until then. And so I'm like, Advent, and when I first heard the word, I'm like, yeah, maybe, is that some Catholic thing? I, I don't really know much about that. But actually, once I learned what Advent was, I was like, oh, well, I've never known that word, but in all the churches I've grown up in, the heart of Advent was always there. And it wasn't just this time of year, but it was all year round. So from the sermons to the music to the testimonies, they were always filled with this sense of the coming of Jesus and what that means for us right now. You know, so somebody might jump up and testify about what God did for them this week. And in what they're talking about, there's a reference to Advent uh, and all that Christ would do, whether his death, his resurrection, his second coming, or the fact that he came the first time. This was always pervasive in the community. 
And I would suggest that this is something that we should carry every day. This is not just a season that we might focus on at this time of year, but Advent should be something that we carry every single day of our lives. In fact, this was the lifeblood of the early church. If you see the preaching and how they ministered, it was all about how life is different now that Christ has come. Nothing remains the same because of this event. His death, his burial, his resurrection, everything is changed and we move forward from that reality. So that's my encouragement to us as we look at Advent. So my focus for today, rather than giving you a bunch of points, is really just going to be on two main themes, anticipation and fulfillment. We're going to look at the anticipation of Advent and the fulfillment of Advent. And I want to do this because before we get to, you know, where our culture, uh, uh, the commercialization of Christmas and, and all of the ideas that we're, we're bombarded with that surround Christmas and Jesus and people's ideas, I think it's important for us as a church that our understanding of Advent is rooted in the Scriptures. So that we don't begin with us. I know there's a tendency to jump very quickly to the subjective, but that we don't start with us and kind of how we want to process it today. But we want to begin with the people who experienced this, the community that this truth has come through. How did they understand it? What did it mean for them in their time? And how can we learn from that? And then properly translate it to what it means for us. So I want to begin at the beginning. Genesis. Genesis chapter 3. And just a highlight of this, uh, whenever you put that up, Genesis chapter 3. But all of you Bible scholars out there, I think, I don't know, there are probably more over here. I don't know. But I know I've got some Bible scholars here. All of you should be, I, I see all of us should be students of the Word of God, okay? We know this scene. We know this story. Genesis chapter 3 is the place, it's the time where everything goes downhill for humanity. We know before this, God creates everything. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. God calls it good. God's put, God puts Adam and Eve in the garden, says you can eat of everything, just don't touch this tree. And then we know what happens after that. They disobey. They fall. And now here we are. But I want to suggest that Advent, at least the anticipation of Advent, begins as early as this scene here. God says, to the serpent. We know the serpent came and deceived. We later learn the serpent is Satan, the enemy who's speaking through the serpent. God says to the serpent, because you have done this, so he deceived Eve, cursed are you above all livestock and wild animals. You will crawl on your belly and you will eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. There's an interesting switch here 
We're talking beyond just some creature that's crawling on the ground. God is doing something. And I'll actually go back a little bit that even when Adam and Eve sinned and they realized they were naked and the, the guilt and shame, we see God in the earliest times demonstrating that will become a, a, a reality in its fullness later. We see God comes looking for Adam. Adam, where are you? That's a, that's a symbol of, of how we understand salvation, that God comes looking for us. We see it in the early time. God, you have to understand that God never changed. We changed. We changed. God comes looking for them. They're naked and ashamed. What does God do? God covers their shame. Hmm. Sounds like atonement which we're going to get deeper into. Do you understand that in the earliest times, God is already speaking about a future reality? And we hear this with the serpent. There's somebody coming who's gonna deal with you. God is laying out already in this time. Yeah, I got a plan for this. And of course, we fast forward now from the garden to Abraham, where God is still breaking into sinful humanity, right? And so God comes to Abraham, says, hey, get from your land. I'm going to take you to a land where I'm going to show you. And Abraham becomes uh, the one through whom God is going to birth the Messiah, that lineage. He says to him, through you, all the nations will be blessed. You see, God, we're going to be doing this a lot <laughs> for the first part of the sermon. God is still identifying somebody's coming. And I'm going to use you. Fast forward now to Moses. Our passage comes from Deuteronomy. But just a little background of Moses. God, once again, is still breaking into humanity, breaking into history. God raises up. Moses, God told Abraham, actually, they look, your people, your descendants, they're going to be enslaved for 400 years, but I'm going to deliver them. And here we are with Moses. God raises Moses up to lead God's people. Once again, God is saving them from Egyptian bondage, another picture of salvation. What you see in scripture, these types and shadows, these events that took place then but they still point to a greater reality that's coming. And so as we go through this, I want you to pay attention to the details, okay? Because they're important. Moses is saying this, this is in Deuteronomy 18, in the book of Deuteronomy, um, it's pretty much Moses' charge to the people of Israel. They're about to go into the land and sadly Moses, because he disobeyed God, He's not going to be able to go, but he's giving them this charge. When you get into the land, God will be with you. Be sure to obey. Be sure to do what God has said. And in 18, verse 15, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him. For this is what you asked of the Lord your God at Horeb on the day of the assembly when you said, let us not hear the voice of the Lord our God, nor see the, this great fire anymore or we will die. The Lord said to me, what they say is good. I will raise up for them a prophet like you from among their fellow Israelites. And I will put my words in his mouth. He will tell them everything I command him. 
I myself will call to account anyone who does not listen to my words that the prophet speaks in my name. So, so far, these texts that I'm actually giving you are what's called like messianic texts. This is what we, you know, scholars, we look back on and, and even scripture later in the New Testament, the New Testament writers point to some of these texts of what was prophesied of the Messiah to come. And there are different passages that talk about what the Messiah would do, his character, what he would say, how God is going to work through him. And this is Moses, as I said, pay attention to the details. The Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me. Well, you know, we don't have time to go too deep into this, but that like me is key because you have to understand how God worked through Moses. The deliverer, God uses him to deliver his people. And you start to see Jesus who comes to as the deliverer, the savior. Toward the end of Deuteronomy, when Moses dies, Deuteronomy 34 verse 10, it talks about how there was not a prophet who knew God the way Moses knew him. It says that he knew God, what, face to face. No other prophet had that kind of intimacy with God. But then we come to the New Testament and you see about Jesus, God in flesh, the very image and expression of God in the very bosom of the Father. You see this comparison of how Moses in the way God uses him serves as a type and a shadow of a greater reality. And this is creating anticipation among the people. They're, as they're going about following God, going into the land, they're carrying this history and these words and asking what do these things mean? Anticipation of Advent. We heard a little bit from Isaiah and I'll, I'll point there. Starting at Isaiah chapter seven, I'll read these and then I'll, I'll give you a little bit more history. Um, quick verse, Isaiah chapter seven, verse 14, therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son and will call him Emmanuel, meaning God with us. To chapter nine, next passage, Isaiah nine, six through seven, for unto us, for to us, a child is born to us, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace, of the greatness of his government and peace, there will be no end. He will reign on David's throne and over his kingdom, establishing and upholding it with justice and righteousness from that time on and forever. The zeal of the Lord Almighty will accomplish this. Now these are two beautiful passages. You need to know that this was not a very good time for Israel. These beautiful words are spoken. The prophet is prophesying in the midst of judgment. Okay, so once again, a little bit of history, Israel, God's people, and they keep going back sinning, going after other gods, and 
then God would bring some judgment and then they'd obey and they're kind of flip-flopping. And you see this a lot in the book of Judges, right? You know, it says, it always says there was no king and everyone did what was right in their own eyes. And what happened? People would go and worship these false gods, you know, after Joshua died and, and then, then they get into trouble because God says, okay, you want life without me? Here's what I'll do. See, I've been providing for you. I've been sheltering you. I've been caring for you, but you keep saying you don't want me. So here's what I'm going to do, judgment. I'm going to give you life without me. So I'm going to remove my protection and let you see what life is like without me. And there's all kinds of judgment. And then the people cry out and then God says, okay, I'll raise up a deliverer. And then you've got people who come through, they start obeying, Samson, others, they start obeying. And these are the judges of Israel. They start obeying again and it flip flops back and forth, back and forth. And then we come to the kings, you know, so when you get to the books of Samuel and, and um, kings and the chronicles of the kings, all these kings come up and it says they did great evil in the sight of God. We had David, he was pretty good, you know, he's a type of Christ, you know. <laughs> and then Solomon is where things start going, you know, downhill because he, he raises up these altars to these false gods and then it just goes south from there. So you have a people that are constantly rebelling and rebelling. And then God is saying through the prophets, so Isaiah, Jeremiah, all these prophets, it's judgment time. And you have to see, even though the, these passages scare us, we don't like reading them, but you have to see the long suffering of God, how God is still with them, providing for them, even though Israel rebels against him. And God always leaves a remnant. So there are always people who are faithful to Yahweh, but God says, I still have to bring judgment. And that's the setting that Isaiah is prophesying in. But even in the midst of judgment, just like this, and there are others, God is giving beautiful promises to Israel of restoration, hope. Doesn't feel like it right now because, you know, they're asking the question, how long will God be angry with us? Is God still with us? Has God abandoned us? And the text makes it very clear. God is saying, no, I've not abandoned you. I'm still here. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to punish you for a time, but I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to restore you. Now, of course, some of those prophecies spoke to uh, a more immediate restoration of what was going to happen back then. But like texts like this point to a greater future. The anticipation of Advent. Like I said, pay attention to the details, and we'll come to, to some of this later because there are all these great names about who this deliverer, this Messiah will be. We turn to Micah, chapter 5, verse 2. Once again, it's during a time of judgment. But you, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me, one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. I like that part, whose origins are from old, of old, of, from ancient times. In other words, he's eternal, you know. You get in the picture? You know what we believe about Jesus? Are you starting to see you're starting to see what's being pointed to. There's a future hope, Advent, 
So imagine yourself in this community and you're reading this history, these texts, and you're still asking yourself, what do these mean? What's the timing of this? When, when is God going to show up? When are we going to see this deliverer? You're looking at a community, a Hebrew, the Hebraic community that is holding these texts dear, that are continuing to look at them, re be reminded of these texts. Why? Because this is anticipation of Advent. But they don't know the time, they don't know when, but they're still a holding the two, they're still a trusting anticipation. Well, the next thing that I mentioned is about fulfillment. Anticipation meeting fulfillment. I mean, one of the easiest examples or quickest examples I can think of is, is watching the birth of my children, right? You know, you, that's a birthing, you know, that's a great, you know, example of anticipation of, you know, so we've got four beautiful kids and I was there, you know, glad to be there for every one of them. And, you know, I was that kind of dad. I, I can't speak for other dads, but I was that kind of dad. I had to see it all. So I'm like, I want to see everything. And my wife would not let me record any. I would have taken video or whatever, but she wouldn't let me do it. Okay. But I'm that kind of guy. Everything, blood, slime. I want to see it all, you know. <laughs> but I, I, I just remember the times of anticipation of our, of our children coming. And then, so there was, there was Caleb, you know, and then there's BJ, and then there's Joshua, and then there's Caleb. Anticipating, wondering what... What are they going to be like? What are they going to say? What are they going to, what are they going to do? And, and, you know, watching them grow. And then each one, they come on the scene. And it's like now anticipation meets fulfillment. That time when everything we've been waiting on is now here. And then fulfillment now leaves us asking the question, what does this mean? Now that this little person is here, you know, it doesn't stop that they're here because now they're going to grow up and what does that mean for our life and our time and well, what are we going to do? And you know how it is as a parent. It's kind of, it's cute. They say their first words and it's so wonderful. And then they grow up a little more and now it's changed a little bit because see, I went from it being it's so cute to now, did I ask for your opinion? You know, really? Like I tell them, you've been here five minutes and you're going to tell, okay. I'm stuck. <laughs> Excuse me. But the point of that is anticipation means fulfillment, and fulfillment brings about transformation, change. Now that they're here, everything is different. And how do Christy and I live into that? difference of, of forming and, and, and caring for them and who are they going to become. So you're seeing what's being set up. So as we approach Advent, like I said, before we go to how I might think of it in the 21st century, see the history of how God is speaking through generations of the Hebrew people to where we get to fulfillment. Matthew chapter 1.
Starting in verse 18, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph, but before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. The beauty of this and what I'm getting at is that when it comes to Advent and why we need to look at Scripture is because Scripture tells us what Advent means. We don't have to come, we don't have to drum it up, we don't have to think it up, we don't have to figure out, look inside me and figure out what it means to me. No, what does Advent mean? And the writers are telling us what it means. See, here Matthew is pointing back to, you remember the prophet Isaiah? Remember who he's talking to. This is a community who's rooted in this tradition of the prophets and holding to these scriptures. And he's telling us, this is what this means. The prophet that spoke long ago, generations ago, it's being fulfilled right here, right now. Joseph, faithful to the law, is getting this. And the angel tells him this, hey, what's happening this is from God, okay? Advent reminds us that God is initiating this. That's where Advent always starts. God is doing something. Pay attention, don't miss it. I wanna reference Luke chapter one, chapters one through two. And I'm not reading all those, I just wanna reference them because I, I wanna encourage you to read Luke chapter one, because you know, Luke as a writer, he's much more detailed. And so that's where you actually get the angel Gabriel coming to Mary, telling her that she's going to be with child. So now Joseph, for one, he's got a shock because his, he finds out his fiance is pregnant and he's not the daddy. And so what do I do with this? You, you, once again, the details, you're getting, how do I handle this? You know, this is going to be public shame. I don't want to make an accusation against her because I know what that might mean for her. Um, and then the spirit breaks in. The angel shows up and says, hey, in a dream, this is from God. But you've got Mary and her experience, teenage girl who's rooted in this tradition and this culture that is, once again is, is hearing these prophecies and still as a community wondering, what is God doing? What is God saying to us? This is a community that's dealing with oppression. They're, they're under Roman occupation. So you've got that layer. You've got, you know, re religious confusion too, because it's like, where is God? You know, and you've got different ideas and different sects within the community. And so this is beautiful because the angel comes to her and says, you found favor. You remember what's been prophesied before? It's happening right now. 
and I'm going to use you. Now, there's no way you can be ready for something like that. But we honor Mary. Why? Because she, she, she has the response that I think she could only give, which is surrender. Let it, let it be to me. I can't understand this. That What is this that you're coming to me? I'm nobody. Who, who am I? Let it be to me as you say. But here's that tradition again. The story is coming through history because, and, and I won't read it now, but you see that in a Mary song, which is... Um, Chapter, Luke chapter 1, verses 46 through 55, where she's celebrating and how I'm, I'm blessed of all, all uh, generations will call me blessed. She said, I rejoice in God, my Savior. And she reflects on the promises that God gives to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. You see, Advent has been the anticipation of Advent for generations and generations. And here she's reaping the benefits of it. And there's still a question, what do all of these things still mean? So as we talk about fulfillment of Advent, it always evokes a certain response. What is the proper response? And I wanna look at a few groups of people and how they respond to this event. And even in their response, you can see these are people who have been anticipating these moments and they respond. So I wanna reference Matthew chapter two, and it's not gonna be on the screen, but this is the story of the wise men. You know, the men, wise men, we three kings, you know, that song, you know, they come. Now, we don't know how many wise men there were. I know pop culture, three gifts, and so, you know, there's three of them. We don't know how many. There were at least two. I'm sure there could have been like maybe 20. Who knows? You know? But they come from the East seeking Christ. Also, contrary to the popular opinion, more than likely they were not at the manger scene. Okay? They showed up a little later. In fact, Jesus could have been about two years old at most by the time they showed up, okay? That's one of my pet peeves and every time I see a nativity and you got the wise men there. I'm like, they weren't there yet, okay? Not yet, okay, you know. I don't fall apart, but still, they weren't there yet. <laughs> but they come to Jerusalem seeking. They're saying, where is he who's been born, who has been born king of the Jews? So let me paint the scene for you. They come to the city, they're coming into the gates, and they're probably asking people, right? They're asking around because they've just seen the star as, they, as it records here, and they're asking around. So where's this king? They're asking people, and, and the Bible says that when King Herod hears of it, he's troubled. He and all of Jerusalem. What is the meaning of Advent? For the wise men, this is a king we're coming to worship. For the wise men, Advent means a call to worship. 
And they're looking at these prophecies too. So they show up like, hey, it's go time. Where is he? We've come to worship. And don't take words like worship lightly. We've come to prostrate ourselves before him. That's what that Greek word means. Actually, it's face down before him. He's the king. But not everyone has the same reaction to Advent. Because while they come with expectation to see this great king, King Herod's not feeling that. What does Advent mean? We see these beautiful texts of, of, of the one who will come, but living in this time, you've got to understand what weight these terms carry. You don't walk around calling yourself a king during that time, just loosely. It has real meaning. And to Herod, it's a threat. It's a serious threat. He's troubled. And you know the story, he, he calls, he, you know, he summons the wise men, okay, um, tell me where, where is he, um, you're going to go see this king, okay, he, he inquires of the priests, okay, where's the, where's the Messiah to be born? Even Herod knows this history. He's inquiring of the chief priest, okay, where, where, where's the Messiah to be born? And they tell him, well, in Bethlehem. And the text references that, that Micah 5.2, that's the text they reference. So they're troubled. He summons the wise man. Okay, when you find him, you know, go worship him. When you find him, send word back to me, right? And they go, they bring their gifts, gold, frankincense, myrrh. It's a beautiful, beautiful time. But Advent stirs things up. Mm. The coming of Jesus shakes things. The coming of Jesus rattles cages. Everybody's not happy that Jesus is showing up. And you see it later in that chapter where God warns the wise men in the dream, hey, don't go back to Herod. And so they go back to their country another way. Herod was furious, and I know I've got young ears here, but I've got to say this. And he puts out a call for the deaths of a bunch of babies boys in Bethlehem and the surrounding provinces seeking the Messiah. A lot of babies died that day because the Messiah has come. Are you starting to understand the gravity of Advent? The one who has come to bring life and the enemy doesn't like that. So lots of babies died to try, because what does Satan want to do? Satan wants to stop the Messiah. He wants to stop the plan of God. Here we go, going back to the seed of the woman is gonna crush your head. Sitting in the fulfillment of Advent. On a lighter tone, I don't want to leave us there. I want to go to Luke chapter 2. And I'm going to read this, and it should show up on the screen. Luke chapter 2, verses 25 
through 38. We're talking about how people are responding to Advent, the coming of the one. Starting in verse 25, now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. So he was devoted to Yahweh. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him, what was the custom of the law required? So Jesus is a young child now, okay? Simeon took him in his arms and praised God saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and the sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Penuel of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple, but worshiped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. Anticipation of Advent meets fulfillment. These two older people who are serving God, devout, are getting to see the fulfillment of what God has been prophesying for generations. To, and it's hard to get in that mindset, but to understand what this means for them. Israel, a nation who has dealt with so much trauma, Israel, a nation that has time and time again been unfaithful to God, and they're seeing the salvation. God is coming to save his people. And Mary and Joseph, they marvel at what's being said because as I mentioned with my children being born and grow, growing up, now we're, you know, there's more to be fulfilled because Jesus is here and they're, they're hearing people say things about him that it's like blowing their mind. I don't, oh, what's, it, what, what's he really gonna do? What's he gonna say? What's it gonna look like when he's older, when he grows up? In hindsight, we get to read this. We see that Jesus comes on the scene and he rattles cages. He brings hope, but he, he challenges kingdoms too. But not just the kingdoms we think of, you know, like Caesar and Herod's. He challenges these little kingdoms in here that we're tempted to set up every day. Jesus comes to everybody, every human heart, and says, what are you going to do? 
God has entered into human history. This is what Advent means. This is what God with us means. Emphasis on God and not us. And I've got to say that because, you know, we, simply, we, we, we tend to go there, especially when we think of Jesus and what he's done, and we kind of think about, you know, my personal stress, what I'm going through. And, you know, I'm glad that, you know, Jesus came because he's like my therapist. Now, we don't use those words, but that's how we treat him, right? He's, he's one of those therapists. He just kind of helped me. I'm having a hard time. Jesus helped me with the difficult things, and I think I've got it from here. But Advent tells us he turns everything upside down. And this is getting into what does it mean for us? What does it mean for us? The last passage that I'll give you is Acts chapter 1, and then I'll begin to wrap this thing up. Acts chapter 1, verses 8 through 11. This is after, you know, Jesus' ministry, and he's about to leave his disciples. He says to them, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. After he said this, he was taken up before their eyes and a cloud hid him from their sight. So the disciples, they're looking up to Jesus. They were looking intently, excuse me, they were looking intently up into the sky as he was going when suddenly two men dressed in white stood beside them. So these were angels appearing as men. Men of Galilee, they said, why do you stand here looking into the sky? My translation, what are y'all doing? Is this like a human thing? Y'all just oh, staring in the sky, you know, that kind of thing. This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come back in the same way you have seen him go into heaven. I brought this up to mention one point. We are living in the middle of fulfillment and anticipation of Advent. You can see historically how the Messiah has been anticipated. He comes on the scene and Jesus lives and he preaches and he heals. He says, repent for the kingdom of God is here. Kingdom of God is at hand. He's setting people free, raising the dead, challenging powers. And now it's time to go, but the story's not over because there's still more to anticipate. This is where we're living. Jesus has come, yes, but he's coming again. And so we're living in the fulfillment of Advent, of what Jesus did and what he said and how it is from this passage that the church is mobilized to invade the world with the gospel. You will be witnesses unto me. So as we reflect on Advent, think about what this means for us right now. I said he's healing, he's restoring. He, God has initiated reconciliation with sinful humanity. All of those things we talked about, God's divine judgment, wrath, restoration, these are all things that we need to carry throughout this season of Advent. So what is our posture this season? In fact, I would like to set a guide for us as we reflect in the coming weeks. Let's not rush too quickly through this season. Cece, you can come on up. 
Let's not move too quickly through this. Pay attention to the details of Advent. Words that we've been talking about, Savior and Ruler, Lord. Understand what these words meant for them and what that means for us now. Living in the fulfillment of Advent. You know, this has been so powerful to me. And I think there, it comes a point where it's like even words just can't articulate this truth. But I'm praying that through the season that the Holy Spirit would make Advent so real to us. Now that Christ has come, that everything is different. And I've got to ask you, is your life different now that Christ has come? Does Advent change anything about your life? Or is it just the regularly scheduled program? When we meditate on God with us, think about the gravity of God, the Creator, with us. It means we're not on the throne anymore. And you know that's difficult because we live in a culture that every day pronounces the kingdom of self. Everything is about you, you make the rules, you, you, you. Advent switches that up. Oh. God is doing this work. And my prayer is that we would respond like the wise men who came from the East, that Advent brings us to a place of worship, a place of saying, not my will, but yours. That we would respond like Mary with just a heart of surrender. I can't figure this out. I don't understand it. But yes, Lord, I surrender to you. Respond like Joseph out of obedience when it doesn't make sense. And also be like Simeon and Anna, who are daily, as Emily talked about, daily, day in and out, daily looking intently to the truth of God. I mentioned, let Advent be something that we carry every day of our lives. Although we focus on it this season, let every day that we reflect on his coming and sit with anticipation of the king who is to come, the ruler. There's more to be fulfilled when all will be made right, when all the kingdoms of the world will literally bow before his might. Let's pray. <laughs>